0: With the financial crisis still bubbling as we write in late 2009, we will first consider its roots and its potential impact in order to set a context for the later chapters. We show that some of the factors leading to the events of 2006 through 9 were anomalous, others will continue, but that the effects will be felt well into the next decade. Governments and consumers in the West will be particularly constrained as they tackle paying off their debt. In the meantime, the newly industrializing economies enjoy many advantages. Their savings are high, their labor cheap and skillful, their access to technology is rapidly approaching that of the Western economies, and many have large internal markets. All of this presents a competitive threat to established industrial powers. The Roots of the Financial Crisis The financial crisis that began in 2006-2007 with defaults on subprime mortgages in some parts of the USA serves as a decisive punctuation mark. It marked the end of a period of fake stability, one in which all the indicators seemed to support a mode of operation and a set of assumptions that we now have to question. We begin this chapter with a review of the roots of the crisis, in the view that to fully understand where we're going, we need first to mark where we are. We have been through a period of asset price inflation. In plotting world trade against world product, both in money of the day from 1950 to the present, there is a lengthy period in which the two maintained a one-to-one relationship. The relationship began to change in the early 1980s, with world trade increasing at a much faster rate than world product. The Asian crisis, the dot com collapse, and the massive failure of financial management in 2006 provided a series of challenges which initially appeared to be accommodated without disrupting the growth of world trade. The growth of world trade was a symptom. The cause, was a mixture of real external factors and a belief which persisted for a generation and beyond in the financial industries that credit was uncapped. The key drivers included the following eight factors. 1. Steady or falling, in real terms, commodity and energy prices which drove up consumption. 2 the doubling of the global workforce, and the much more than doubling of their intellectual capacity through education and training, which led in its turn to mobility of labor to where it could be used effectively. 3. Near-universal productivity growth was based on the use of increasingly cheap information technology. Between 1960 and 1999, Manufacturing's share in U.S. GDP and total employment both halved to about 15 percent. Over the same period, its physical output increased two to three times, and prices decreased in real terms by 75 percent. Four. Labor costs for low-skilled workers in the industrial world were nearly static in real terms. Five. Connectivity and new institutions offered access to the global workforce and to world savings. 6. The end of the Cold War led to the apparent supremacy of the Western model of governance. There was near-universal and immediate economic response to a standard economic model that comprised sound finance, unimpeded market forces, rational and predictable regulation and taxation, open borders to trade in manufactured goods, all making up the so-called International Monetary Fund, IMF, model. 7. There was a wave of privatization and deregulation in the industrial world. This spread to the former Comic-Con countries in Eastern Europe and in China and India. 8. Finally, financial deregulation had a series of important impacts, as discussed below. The immediate responses to this growth of world trade were the extension of consumerism in the West and the beginnings of fast growth and liberalization in the developing economies, most notably in Asia and the ex-Comic-Con countries in Eastern Europe.